If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey everyone, it's Erin Sadler, and today I'm doing another solo episode. There's been a few of these in a row, and personally, I prefer recording with Nicole, as you as you know, but there's been a couple of things that have come up, and she lives in Pennsylvania, I live in California, so we're dealing with time zone differences, but don't worry, we'll be back together next week. This episode came from a listener question. This week, we're answering a question from Kim in California. She is asking about what to do when the science curriculum isn't really what you were hoping it would be. I've opted to redact the name of this particular publisher um, for a couple of reasons. One, we don't want to get in trouble with publisher. I don't even know if that's a thing, but, you know, who knows? Um, And two, I think that this problem is not exclusive to one publisher. So Kim says, I'm a seventh and eighth grade science teacher. Our district adopted an integrated curriculum. As a team, we don't love the program. The spiral organization doesn't really make sense and the SEPs and CCCs don't seem smoothly integrated. Do you have any suggestions for how to adapt or utilize this curriculum specifically or adopted curricula in general? Thanks. So I definitely have some suggestions. Before we go there, though, what I'd like to do is go back and talk about what is really happening here and why it's being allowed to happen, and then a little bit about how you can prevent it from happening. I'm not going to spend very much time on that because I know that not everyone has that kind of authority where they get to choose the curriculum um, for a wide variety of reasons. But if you are in a position where you haven't adopted yet, you're thinking about adopting, um, I just want to give you some pointers so that you aren't in a space where you end up in this situation. So we noticed this was a problem a long time ago. In fact, our fourth episode on the podcast, if you haven't listened to it, you might want to go back and listen, um, was how you know it's not NGSS. And I think a lot of the things that we said there are still true. Um, There are so many ways that you could spot things that just have that NGSS label slapped on it. And um, 
Nicole referred to this as NGSS washing, and she defined any NGSS washing as a curriculum or a product that hasn't necessarily done the work to to be 3D and really meet the intent of the standards. Um, but somebody kind of like did a couple things to it and then called it NGSS. This happens for a couple of different reasons. One, I think, I, I hope that you can see at this point that the NGSS is really complicated. So I think that a lot of publishers and, you know, TPT sellers and things like that don't really understand that their product isn't meeting the intent of the NGSS. Um, I also think that many publishers were rushed to produce a product because they knew that these new standards were coming out. And I honestly believe that some of them just like shoved in some science and engineering practices and a phenomenon and pretty much gave us the product that they always had just with that NGSS label on it. I don't know how it is in every state, but I do know a little bit about the process in California. And basically what happened in California was that the state set out a list of criteria for publishers. And when they reviewed the curricula, they just kind of went through and screened it and saw if those things were there. And if they were there, the curriculum was approved. If it wasn't there, then it wasn't approved. So the state of California has said that if they approved a curriculum, it's not like a ring endorsement of that curriculum, just that it met the minimum requirements and that it's the job of the districts to um, to really screen the product and see how it works for their students. So I think that we should all be aware of that. I don't know where you're listening from, but it could potentially be the same in your state that just because a curriculum is state approved, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's great or that it really meets the intent of those standards. And if you just think about like how long um, it would take in order for somebody to go through and really pay attention and see all of the potential problems with a curriculum. So there's a couple of different things that you could do. Um, one, I would suggest following the time rubric um, it's a very extensive rubric and a long process. Um, I believe that we spent in my district when we reviewed a potential program that we wanted to go with, it took us about a day to go through and like map out everything and figure out how it will work for us. And it, it's a very labor intensive process, but it did really help point us in the right direction. Um Another thing that you can do is look at Ed Reports, and Ed Reports does a very thorough screening. They really spend the time with programs, and um, I've been—I actually spoke to somebody who who was part of that process, and it sounded like it was really intensive. And so, I personally would would trust that resource. Um, the last thing that I would do before you adopt um, a, one, ideally, you're like doing a long pilot. Um, but two, if you aren't able to do that, I would map out a storyline and I'll link to my article that I wrote, my blog post that I wrote article, look at, I'm sounding all fancy. Um, my blog post that I wrote on storylines and I would do it the same way that I did in this blog post. And basically what I did was I just took different color post-its and I like mapped out my storyline 
And, you know, I was on the way, like, thinking about how I would put the storyline together. You won't be doing it that way. You'll just be mapping out what's already there. And I think one of the great things about doing this is that it will help you to see, you know, maybe, I'll be honest, none of them are perfect um, from what I've seen. There's something wrong with all of them. Um, but it will allow you to see where the potential holes are so that you can make a decision if that program is going to be right for you. So that's what I would do if you haven't adopted yet, but that doesn't help Kim at all. And I think a lot of us are in a position where we have a program and we're not in love with it. And we realize it's not meeting the intent of 3D learning and doing all those things that we hoped it would do. And maybe they just slap that NGSS label right on. So the first thing that I think you need to do is assess what you already have. Um, I would go through with sticky notes and I would map out the storyline for an entire unit and I would assess it on a few different things. One, is it teaching that DCI? Two, are the science and engineering practices being used in a way that it's intended to? Are they being used to help with student discovery? Are they being used to help students explain? Are they being used to help students investigate? Then I would check to make sure that there are cross-cutting concepts. I would make sure that there was a phenomenon and I would look for student discovery. So that's kind of like the five things that I would look for in the curriculum. And hopefully there's at least, you know, one or two things that it does well. And my guess is that it probably does well with a DCI. Maybe there's some phenomena, um, but, you know, it kind of falls flat from there. So whatever the problem is, you're just going to figure out very concretely, like what it is. And I would write down like the pros and cons of those five things. What does it do well? And what does it not do very well? Then from there, um, we talked about this a little bit, actually a lot on episode 110. Um, We talked about how to start 3D learning. And I would go back and take a look at that episode. But essentially, you have two choices. The first one is that you start with a phenomenon and you basically rebuild your storyline from there. The second choice is, is that you take those smaller components and you start working on those pieces one at a time. So this will depend on what's wrong with the storyline. If you've got great anchoring phenomena and you've got great investigative phenomena, don't worry about the phenomena. Like don't, don't change something that's not broken. So you would start with those little pieces. Even if the phenomenon isn't great, that doesn't mean that you have to start there because the downside of working on the phenomenon is I think you get a bigger payoff, but it's also much more labor intensive because you essentially are kind of ripping down <laughs> the entire structure and rebuilding it. And you can you can use some of those pieces again, like, you know, you can reuse the bricks to make that structure, but it's, you really have to knock everything down in order to move on. So, like I said, it's dependent on what's missing from your curriculum. You also have to consider how much time that you have and how much time you're willing to invest. So, um, I think that 
that that phenomenon piece is probably going to be the most labor intensive, where something like working on the cross-cutting concepts is going to be far more simple. You can go through and add in the cross-cutting concepts relatively easily without really changing anything that you're doing. So when I am working with a teacher who is trying to make a shift towards the end of the school year and they just want to have like one quick win, I always tell them to go with cross-cutting concepts because I think that it's so such an easy shift in your classroom. So what I would do, let's say that we're going to we're going to work on the cross-cutting concepts as a team. I would print out the NSTA matrix for the cross-cutting concepts, and I would look at what it looks like in my grade band, and I would start figuring out how to incorporate that. If your students are familiar with the cross-cutting concepts, then you can start within your grade band. If they're not, maybe pop back a grade band. And I've talked about this in several different episodes. I'll make sure to list those in the show notes. But I think that we've been through this piece before. You're just going to start building things that you can do. So let me give you some examples. So let's start with patterns because I think that that one's really easy. So you could create a card sort. um, And I do this just by looking up images and printing them out for students and just having them sort it. And I just do something that's related to the content piece. And then I ask them to, to look for patterns in those particular images So it could be, you know, you could relate this back again to structure and function or something like that. Or if it's, if it's, you know, just like way at the beginning of your unit, you could just leave it at that like simple cart sort type thing. You could do a notice and wonder activity with, um, with a set of data and ask them to tell you what they notice, what they wonder, and do they recognize any patterns in the data? Um, it's such an easy way to incorporate that cross-cutting concept. I also really like starting the year with systems and system models because that's a really easy one to introduce and you can go back over and over again. So I just start with asking students to name components of a system and I define what a system is for them and what components are. And we start talking about interactions and stuff like that. I also have some graphic organizers and information sheets for each of the cross-cutting concepts on my Teachers Pay Teachers site. And I use something very similar with my classes where we go through the cross-cutting concept and then I have them fill out the graphic organizer and we use the same graphic organizer over and over again throughout the school year. If you're interested, I'll link to that in the show notes. You can also see a preview of it in the TPT store if you want, if you prefer to make something on your own. So essentially what you're going to do is just choose a cross-cutting concept. It can be the one in the performance expectation that you're working on, or it could be another one that just makes sense. And you're just going to figure out how you're going to add it into your storyline. So there's several ideas. Uh, If you go back to episode 64, It's called Quick Wins with the Cross-Cutting Concepts, and that would be a great place for you to look. I will also link to that in the show notes and in the episode recap, which I think we've talked about before. What I do is I just go through and I turn this into a blog post with all the links that you need. So you've already created this basically like outline of the storyline, and you're just going to take post-its and you're going to start putting these on your storyline. If 
you want to, you can just stick with the cross-cutting concepts for an entire unit. And then in the next unit, add in another layer. It's totally up to you how you do this and how quickly you want to work. Or if you feel like you have a little bit more time, you can go back in and do another layer with the science and engineering practices or whatever it is that's missing from your storyline. We have several episodes on each of these things. And once you make that decision, go back and take a look at those episodes. For example, episode six is a great one to listen to, to learn how to use the science and engineering practices. Um, we have so many episodes on phenomena and all kinds of stuff. And like I said, I will link to all of that in the show notes so that you have it. So if you're having any trouble thinking about what this might look like visually, go back to that blog post that I wrote on storylines and just see how I layered post-its um, just, you know, like on a piece of paper to represent my storyline and how I added pieces one layer at a time. It In that blog post, everything is written in a specific order, but that's just the order that I used to make it comprehensible. You don't have to follow any particular order because you're taking the storyline that you already have and you're putting in the things that are missing. So if you're not doing the cross-cutting concepts, if you're doing like the science and engineering practices or the DCI, if that's where you're finding that those problem pieces are, then I would use that NSTA matrix so that you have an idea of what that science and engineering practice or DCI looks like in that particular grade level band. So I've turned something that's incredibly complicated into something that's probably oversimplified, but what you're going to do is you're going to map out what you have. You are going to assess what's good and what's not so great. And you're going to make a plan about which one you want to attack first and how quickly you want to attack it and how much time you want to spend there. And you're just going to continue to go through this process until you get something that you're happy with. Maybe you'll do one unit where you focus on the cross-cutting concepts and then do the cross-cutting concepts and science and engineering practices in the next unit. Or maybe you'll do the cross-cutting concepts for the whole year and next year focus on the science and engineering practices. It's totally up to you and how much time you and your team want to invest. Okay, so we talked about cross-cutting concepts, science and engineering practices, DCI, does it have phenomena and phenomena that you actually like? And then that discovery-based approach. So I will link to shows that I suggest for each one of those five things in the show notes and on the blog post for this episode. Okay, so Kim was talking about how her program didn't do a good job of incorporating the science and engineering practices and cross-cutting concepts. So I think that we've addressed that piece. But she also says that the curriculum does the spiraling thing. And she didn't add many details, so I'm going to have to make an assumption that I know what she's talking about. I've seen this with a few programs, and so I'm going to just kind of, like, go with what I think she's talking about. Um, Kim, if you listen to this episode and this wasn't what you meant, uh, just send me an email at sadlerscience at gmail.com or erin at sadlerscience.com and I am happy to work with you on that piece. Okay, in a perfect world, we've talked about how you use student questions in order to build a storyline. And like I said, in a perfect world, you introduce an anchoring phenomenon, 
students ask questions about it, and then you spend part of the unit answering those questions and any other questions that come up as students are working through it. The publisher isn't in the room with your students, so they have to make assumptions about what their questions will be. Um, and sometimes they really miss the mark. They don't know your students' prior knowledge. They don't know their interests. So they're really not equipped to look at that the same way that you would. Also, in a perfect world, we're going from where your students don't really know anything about a phenomenon or very little about a particular phenomenon. And that image of what's actually happening is getting more and more clear for them. So this leads to kind of some spiraling so that you maybe you're like, maybe you're doing some modeling in the beginning and you're doing it again and adding to it as this picture gets more clear. The problem with this is that it can feel like you're going around and around in circles, especially if you don't have that storyline mapped out so that you can really see where it's going. The storyline can feel incredibly repetitive. And that's one of the biggest complaints that I get from teachers is that it just is so boring for the students because it's so repetitive. This happens for two different reasons. And one of that, one of those is because the publisher isn't doing a good job of anticipating your students' questions, which we already discussed. The second one is kind of on the teacher because the publisher only wants that one question to be answered at a time. And from my observations, what I've seen is, is that the teachers will sometimes go too far. And let me explain what I mean. Let me give you a concrete example. Okay, so for example, there's an energy unit. And the first investigative question is, how do you know if something has energy? And the teacher presents the information and they go through and they like assume that students are going to know everything about energy by the end of this invest, by the time that they've answered this investigative question. But the investig investigative question is only asking how we know if something has energy or not. The next investigative question is how do um, how do you get energy? Like how does something get energy? And a lot of times what I see is, is that the teacher is going in and filling in that information because they're like, you know, this seems like they're not going far enough when they're presenting information to the students. So I'm going to go in and fill that in for them. Then when they get to that second piece, the students already have that answer and they've kind of ruined that aha, and it feels really repetitive. So it, teachers are not doing this intentionally. They're just, it. this is more like the way that we used to teach. When we used to teach something, we taught all of it. And that's not what we would do in an NGSS classroom necessarily. We're just going to answer one question at a time for the students through investigations and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really important that you understand where your the storyline is going so that you don't take away that aha. The other thing is, is that sometimes it's just too slow, like I said, because they don't know your kids and the kids come up with the answer to the second question before you've gotten there. And in that case, if you have a really good visual of what the storyline looks like, you can pull out those activities so that it doesn't feel as repetitive. If they know the answer to that second investigative question, don't spend time going through it. 
And once you have that all mapped out, you can trust yourself as a professional to go through and cut pieces that are really repetitive. But just be aware that that's something that I've seen with teachers where they are unintentionally giving away that aha piece. The last piece to think about is that the publisher is kind of producing their stuff for what they think that the average student would need. So it's really important that you're assessing your students to see if they can actually answer those questions. So if you're presenting that information to your class and you guys are going through the investigations and all that kind of stuff, and three students in the back start answering that second investigative question before you've even gotten there, that doesn't mean that your whole class has that concept. So that's where those differentiation pieces really come in. You can take that group of students um, and do some sort of like elaborate piece with them, have them go a little bit further while the other students are catching up to that piece. And that will help with that repetitive feeling as well, because there are still going to be students who don't get that and need that need to go through that other set of investigations in order to answer that second question. And I hope that that helps. Um, it's a lot, but I think that the big key is mapping out that storyline so you know exactly what's happening there. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review it because it helps other teachers find us. And we really love doing this and we want to continue to do it and reach as many teachers as we can. So thank you for listening. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.